even though humans do make the final decision of who to hire, improving diversity early in the funnel does increase the the number of applicants who get to later stages and therefore get hired. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Virgil Berlin. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Lindsay Zuluaga on preventing AI systems from mimicking human biases. Lindsay, I'm really excited to talk to you. So welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So just to get into things, uh, what is HireVue and what is your role? I am the chief data scientist at HireVue. HireVue is a hiring platform that allows companies to engage with candidates, screen them, assess them, and interview them. We're actually, we're kind of the pioneer in the asynchronous video interviewing space. So candidates can record themselves answering questions on their own time and hiring managers and recruiters can review those videos. When we started uh, about 15 years ago, the idea was to ship people webcams instead of them flying across the country to take a job interview. So it's changed since then. Obviously, everyone has webcams. We still offer to ship them and no one has asked in a long time. And we've kind of shifted to early in the hiring funnel, engaging candidates, kind of replacing that resume phone screen stage of the funnel to help our our customers who have a lot of volume. So right now, speed is kind of the name of the game in the current market. Candidates are the good candidates are going quickly. So, you know, often our customers have hundreds or thousands of applicants for a position. So our tools allow them to really speed up their process, often reducing their time to hire from weeks or months down to just days while getting like qualified and diverse candidates. A big part of of what we do, one of our biggest principles is consistency. So we help our customers build good interviews that measure attributes that are important for a particular job and assess all the candidates in the same way and making sure that they they get a chance. So yeah, my title is chief data scientist, but I'm over the data science and BI teams. And specifically, our data science team is very product focused on our assessments. We assess candidates through video and gameplay um, r- recorded interview answers and, and gameplay and our chat bot as well. Wow. That's really amazing. Thank you for sharing that. So if you can tell me about yourself, tell me about your history and what led you to work on this problem. Yeah, I have going kind of far back. I was always good at math, but I didn't really realize how important it was until I took physics. So I kind of fell in love with physics with a great teacher that I had in high school. I have a blog post on LinkedIn about him somewhere uh, back from a few years ago, but I was pretty intimidated to study that. I was the first person in my family to go to college and I didn't really know if I could do it, but I figured I was going to go for it. And the worst thing that could happen is, you know, it became too hard. I would have to change my major. So I continued on in physics and ended up going on to get a PhD as well. And when I started grad school, I really wanted to do experiments because I didn't want to sit at my computer all day. And much to my surprise, the part of my work that I ended up enjoying the most was sitting at the computer, writing code to analyze data. I did a postdoc and then transitioned to industry, which was way more challenging than I anticipated. So many listeners may have experienced this, but the 
modern day job application process is pretty painful. And transitioning from one field to another, I was, you know, left without connections, often, you know, kind of painstakingly curating a cover letter and a resume for a specific job, going into these applicant tracking systems, re-entering everything from my resume into the fields there, then finally applying and not hearing anything back a lot of the time. So I felt strongly that that process was very broken. When I did, you know, get a job in data science, I started off working in the healthcare space, but then transitioned to working in hiring because it's something that was kind of near and dear to my heart after kind of seeing firsthand the problems that are there. Love that. It, sound, it sounds like there's a passion and, and, and like you said, it's really near and dear to your heart. And, you know, uh, bias is a big problem in hiring. So uh, how do we prevent AI systems from mimicking human biases? Yeah, a big topic because uh, human bias in hiring is a well-established issue. And we've heard stories like Amazon created a resume screener that was using machine learning. And it was sexist because it was trained on sexist data from who was previously hired. So if you, you know, if you approach these kinds of problems without an explicit way to combat bias, that this can certainly happen one benefit to using algorithms is that we can probe and tweak them in a way that's impossible to do with human minds. So if we do see that there are certain attributes in an evaluation, like in evaluating a resume or an interview transcript, et cetera, that result in certain groups doing worse or getting hired less or scoring lower on some assessment, we can remove those attributes from the assessment. So Concretely, a naive algorithm would be incentivized to predict an outcome, but we can add a penalty to that optimization for violating some fairness metrics. In in hiring, the fairness metric we talk about the most is group differences in outcomes, but I will say there there are many different fairness metrics and there are trade-offs to whichever you choose. We are very lucky as a data science team working in hiring to kind of have some guidelines around what fairness means in in a pre-hire assessment because that has been established decades ago by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Our industrial organizational psychology team or IO psychology, they've been working in this space for a very long time. And so the practices are pretty well established around kind of how you test for bias, but there there's always kind of more to that picture. So we're always looking at other fairness metrics and trying to incorporate more modern techniques as well. What we've seen is, you know, in our case where we can train our models to ensure that we don't have significant differences in outcomes between groups, this allows diverse candidates to get further into the funnel. So even though humans do make the final decision of who to hire, Improving diversity early in the funnel does increase the the number of applicants who get to later stages and therefore get hired. So Unilever is a big customer of ours who, when they started using our assessments, saw a uh, 16% increase in their incoming class of diverse hires that year. So we, we do see, you know, real numbers associated with this when some of those opportunities for human bias kind of get built into the process in a very consistent way, we see the results. Wow, that's really interesting. So, you know, in following that, I do have a two-part question. So uh, what areas of hiring are being disrupted? And can you compare the old ways of doing things to this new paradigm? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it used to be that most jobs didn't have a huge number of applicants. 
So maybe look in the newspaper and go down and fill out an application on a piece of paper. And it was just people in that town that were applying for that job. Uh, That's obviously changed a lot in the internet age, especially with remote work. Like I said, we have customers, one airline in particular, who receives an average of 20,000 applicants for one position. We have a retail customer who did 50,000 interviews in one weekend to staff stores all across the country. Like that, that is just a level of volume that did not exist before. So we really need different tools, but it's, it's also an opportunity to make things consistent and less biased. So we have a lot more data and we can get quantitative about what we mean by fairness and how we know if principles of fairness are being violated. Another big area is just kind of to tie back to convenience for the flexibility of being able to take an interview whenever it's convenient for you and kind of, you know, communicate with a potential employer via chat to schedule something. All of that is being automated in a way that makes things much faster for candidates and companies and saves on energy, really, uh, when candidates don't have to drive 20 minutes or fly across several states to go to a job interview, they can really complete everything virtually, which is, you know, kind of the paradigm that we've all shifted into in the last couple of years. And it saves carbon to do that. Yeah, definitely. And it sounds like it's very, the theme here is consistency and efficiency. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just curious to know, like, so what are some of the biggest challenges with this technology right now? Yeah, I think, you know, I'll be the first to admit that hiring is really difficult, even for humans. So it's really hard to predict how someone is going to do at a job just from an interview. So if those of us who've hired people know this, you know, someone could interview well, but actually doing the job is a different thing. So we try to, you know, I think get closer and closer to what is the essence of the job and how can we, you know, do some kind of job tryout or people in data science know that when you apply for a job, you often have like a take home test, basically, you know, get kind of, test this person, a virtual simulation or job tryout. I think there's a lot of technologies going that way, but you also need to balance that with respecting people's time. If they're applying for many jobs and they have to spend a lot of time on each application, they might drop the ones where they're being asked to do too much. So as a company trying to hire, you want to have a really good picture of this person, but you don't want to lose them by asking for too much of their time. So it's trying to evaluate people in an efficient way, but around things that are related to the job. So understanding the job, understanding what are good questions to ask, things like that, I'll come into that. For us, like I think in my five and a half years at HireVue, one of the biggest challenges is around the perception of AI. So people hear about what we're doing and they often assume the worst. We've done a lot of work to be more and more transparent and explain very clearly what we're doing, invite third parties to audit our systems, invite academics and activists and people from various different areas to kind of consult with us and, you know, make sure that we're, we're doing things in the best possible way and that we're communicating things well because of that perception, which, which often, you know, whether the fears about AI are true or not, they can be damaging to what we do. So we really, um, that's been, you know, a big push for us over time is to communicate clearly. I'm glad that you mentioned that because uh, explainability and transparency are big topics right now. 
Uh, what are your views on expectations of AI being explainable and transparent? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting area because explainability and transparency mean something different to different people. So as a data scientist, like we often look at the model and can we get into the model and understand what the model is doing? What are the weights of the model? And that can be really difficult to interpret. But alternately, we can go into detail on, uh, and this is often what mostly people are interested in, is just understanding how the system was built and trained. What data is it using? How is it protecting that data? How are systems tested for bias and validity? Uh, We recently released an explainability statement, actually just, I think it was last week, in the last couple of weeks. We worked with a third party in the UK called Best Practice AI, kind of dug into our use of AI. The statement's available on our website if you're interested, but we've seen that it's a really good resource for customers and candidates and anyone who's just kind of curious about our technology. Like I said, we've shifted to just more and more transparency. So for example, kind of knowing that we our IO psychology team just does a job analysis to determine that, for example, adaptability is actually important for this job. And that we're asking this question because it's about adapting. And the target metric that we're training our algorithms to predict is how a trained evaluator would evaluate your answer. That means a lot to know, right? Versus just saying maybe this is an AI that was built to predict on who was hired in the past. And it's, you know, maybe looking at your skin color or something like that. Like those are kind of the concerns. So just being very clear with, you know, our explainability statement goes through all of the steps, the data that we're using, which is language data and kind of how we train models, how we validate them, how we ensure that they're fair. I'm really proud of that statement as well as some of the like third party audits that we've done in the past. I think my experience is that transparency is is not only like the right thing to do, but it, it is good business for us. I mean, in the absence of transparency, like I said, we saw that people assumed the worst. So for us, it's been very well received and positive to just open open everything up and talk freely about our technology. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely appreciate that because transparency is key. So um, to follow up on that, like what legal frameworks and standards are in this area? Yeah, so I mentioned the EEOC, the federal government guidelines. Those are several decades old. Those are around how to you know, evaluate pre-hire assessments or, or hiring decisions. We also go to the um, Society of Industrial Organizational Psychology or SIOP principles, which you know, are very central to what we do because industrial organizational psychologists have been building pre-hire assessments for a long time. And it's kind of interesting. I think a lot of people don't realize that the same principles apply, whether or not you're using AI. Like some people think that AI and hiring is just completely unregulated, which is not true. We talk about applicants that are being assessed. That is not a new area at all. So we have a lot of like the framework kind of built out for us from that. But we're seeing a lot of like legislation conversations coming up around how AI is used. And there's, you know, a lot of additional concerns to kind of rolling something out that could have a lot of bias on a large scale. So like I said, we do have a lot of outside advisors to kind of keep us up to date with that legal and ethical landscape. But there is kind of a lack of clear guidelines. I think a lot of 
companies and countries have kind of come out with vague principles, you know, around AI use, but a lot of them are not as quantitative as we would like. So I think, you know, as we move forward, we kind of just want to be a part of the conversation, whether we get new regulations on AI used in hiring from the federal level, or if there's just going to be, you know, many different states with their own laws. That's something we have to keep up with. GDPR in the EU is kind of forging the way in terms of data privacy and 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 things tied to the use of data. So that's that's something we, you know, we kind of look to as the direction that we think things will go in the United States and make sure that we are compliant with that. But but yeah, I think it's going to be interesting in the next few years. We've, we're already seeing a lot of state laws popping up and just trying to, you know, keep an eye on those and and make sure that practitioners have a voice in in what comes out of those because sometimes their the realities, you know, are a little different than maybe a lawmaker writing the bill will understand. Yeah, that's some great information. A lot of things to keep in mind uh, moving forward. So this next question is is for our listeners. Is there a book or blog or a newsletter or website or video that you would recommend to our listeners? Uh, Yeah, I recently read The Ethical Algorithm. It's by Michael Kearns and Aaron Roth. Really, really great book. And I, you know, for me, even learned some new things about data privacy that are really interesting. I love just keeping up with like the DeepMind blog and seeing what kind of cutting edge stuff is going on there. Sounds good. So who, who would you recommend to bring on to the show? So an area that I think is really interesting, if you could get her, is to get Kathy O'Neill, who wrote the book Weapons of Math Destruction, to talk about AI auditing. She performed an audit for us. And I think it's a, it's a really interesting area because no one really knows yet what it means to do an AI audit. And people are kind of forming standards in the area. And I think that's that's a really kind of cool evolving area. And, and Kathy has a lot of great experience with algorithms. Another recent acquaintance of mine, I hope she doesn't mind <laughs> me throwing her name out, is Sarah Papazolakis. And she works for Meta and she's an AI ethicist and works in their virtual reality lab. So also a super interesting area kind of around AI ethics that, that I think could be great for listeners to hear. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing that. As we come to a close, you know, uh, how can people get in touch with you after this podcast? Yeah, I am on LinkedIn. I don't really do much on Twitter, but I'm on there. But yeah, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. And I sometimes post content there as well around hiring and kind of what we do at HireVue. And if you're interested in the topic, give me a follow. Well, I really appreciate the insight that you shared with us, and I'm pretty sure our listeners did as well. And I really enjoyed you having you on today's podcast. So thank you for being on our show. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day, Lindsay. Take care. Thanks, you too. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.